In just one generation, the internet connected people across the globe. And now, slow news days are a thing of the past. It's a lot to keep track of, but WHIP has you covered with local, national, and international stories. Join us for a rational look at a complex world. This is Rational Radio on WHIP. to Rational Radio here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Um, I'm Amelia, and joining me in the booth today are Evan and Sam. So uh, how have you guys' weeks been so far? It's been swell. Getting back to classes and work and everything has definitely been an uphill climb, but I, it's it's going okay. How about yeah, you? My, week, my week's been pretty good so far. It's Wednesday, so midweek. Um, I'm looking forward to the next two days. Everything's going well school-wise, so can't complain. Swell. I'm glad. How were you guys' spring breaks? It was really nice. It was really nice just to not have to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I went to Canada. It was a lot of fun. How was yours? My break was really good. I went to New York, just kind of hung out, saw a couple museums. It was really cold, but only complained. Yeah, it was freezing the entire time. I live in New Jersey, and we got like eight inches of snow one day. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Too much. Yeah. I'm ready for it to be over. Yeah, me too, me too. Well, you guys know the deal. On Rational, we are all news, all the time. So, we have our first story coming to us today from the New York Times and Vox, and it's about the Paul Manafort, um, Trump's former campaign manager, being sentenced to an additional 3.5 years in prison. So, um, a second federal judge added 43 months, which is 3.5 years, to Paul Manafort's prison sentence since he, quote, spent a significant portion of his career gaming the system. Uh, This brings his total prison time to seven and a half years currently. Um, the judge involved in the case was Judge Amy Berman Jackson of the Federal District Court in Washington, D.C., and she sentenced him based on two conspiracy counts encompassing a plethora of crimes, including money laundering, obstruction of justice, and failing to disclose lobbying work that earned him tens of millions of dollars over more than a decade. Um, Manafort was sentenced to five years for the first conspiracy count, of which 30 months will be uh, served concurrently with his previous sentence due to overlap in the cases and 13 months for the second conspiracy count. Um, she expects that Manafort will receive credit for the nine months he's already spent in jail. And statistically speaking, Jackson, as a judge, is regarded as being lenient on convicted criminals who appeared before her, according to data from Syracuse University. Um, Manafort was originally sentenced last Thursday to 47 months in prison for eight felony counts of things like tax evasion, bank fraud, and failure to disclose a foreign bank account in the Federal District Court of Alexandria. Um, Basically, right after this additional sentence was handed down, things got a little spicy, and Manhattan uh, Manhattan prosecutors indicted him on 16 felony charges in New York State. Uh, The charges were announced today by Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance and mainly revolve around mortgage fraud. Uh, According to Vox, quote, the indictment uh, alleges Manafort engaged in a year-long scheme in which he lied on mortgage applications to obtain loans. Um, Even if Trump pardons Manafort for his federal crimes, these state charges prevent him from escaping prison time since Trump's authority to grant clemency doesn't extend to state or local crimes. Um, In court today, Manafort's defense and testimony mainly revolved around him arguing that he's already lost everything so he shouldn't have to lose anything else, um, which was why he wanted to escape the additional prison time. 
um, while listing all of his financial assets that um, now belong to the government. Manafort said, quote, this case has taken everything from me already. Please let my life and I, my wife and I be together. Um, while not outright accusing special counsel Robert Mueller's office of mounting a politically motivated prosecution, Manafort's lawyer Kevin Downing said that, quote, but for a short stint as a campaign manager in a national election, I don't think we would be here today. The judge completely rejected this argument, saying that it proved that Manafort didn't fully accept responsibility for his crimes. So that's the situation we have going on today with Manafort. Um, do you guys think that this is an appropriate amount of time for him to have to serve for his crimes? Do you think it's too much, too little? I think that's a really interesting question and a really interesting way that Manafort is going about his um, defense because he he has committed a crime. So to be like, well, I've already served my sentence. Like, please let me just be with my wife is a super weird request of like an actual criminal. Like he he <laughs> has like, done bad things. Like he should be punished. Like that's how the law works. So, yeah, I think that I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think that that's yeah, of course, he doesn't want to have that sentencing, but I'm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the judge was was a little lenient. However, I, uh, he has been in jail for a while. I don't know how old he is, but I don't think that should be really be too much of a factor for him. Yeah. He's almost 70, I think. Oh, well, really? Yeah, like he's older. He While he was um, giving his testimony today, he was like in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And so I think they were trying to like... Fake I don't wheelchair. Wanna, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, fake I think they were trying to like have that like emotional feel go on with it too. Yeah. <laughs> but trying to, to say, hey, just please let me be with my wife. I know I uh, am a convicted criminal, mm -hmm. but I deserve this. You don't. Yeah, no. yeah. You yeah. You almost committed you could committed treason against the country. Yeah, and you willfully did these crimes. Like you have to understand while you're doing that, even if it is like white collar crimes, like he didn't mm -hmm. technically physically hurt anyone or like cause physical harm to anything. But like you're still going against the law and I think you have to understand that even if these are like financial crimes or like political crimes they're still crimes yeah, like if, you still exactly. deserve to be punished and if he was so concerned about seeing out the rest of his days with his wife he wouldn't have done them to begin with yeah mm -hmm. exactly. he would have he would have had the uh taking the moral high ground and told and said no mm -hmm. and I think 7.5 years is still a relatively short time and that doesn't even account for like parole Exactly. So, yeah. Like, and yeah. As far as the pardon goes, that's ridiculous. I think that is you. I don't think that the president should be allowed to pardon someone that is going to jail for crimes that could or could not be related to him. Yeah. And there, he's Trump is being so evasive about his thoughts behind it and whether or not he's actually going to do it. Like he's been like hiding every time essentially that the press has asked him about it saying things like he wouldn't take it off the table and just like he's he's not giving anyone a straight answer and so I'm so glad that those Manhattan prosecutors came after Manafort today too because at least no matter what he's going to have to face prison time now yeah and he deserves to and I think that's a, going to be an important deterrent moving forward um because it's just it's just ridiculous the way that people can get get away with things if they have wealth or power or privilege. Yeah, what do you think the public would do were Trump to pardon Manafort? Same or Amelia, either one of you. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I think I think people are still 
at least under his base, still view this as a sort of witch hunt. So, like, they're mm-hmm. taking down the lackeys in hopes that will somehow lead to Trump yeah. um, in their yeah. minds. So I think that if he does pardon him, that there wouldn't necessarily be a backlash against it. And I'm not sure what power we have at this point because we've seen backlash at Trump's decisions again and again. It doesn't seem to affect anything in the long run. Um so even like if the public is outraged by this, which I'm not sure they will be, um, it would be surprising to see if that like realistically does anything. Well, I can imagine the public would be outraged. I think, I mean, let's not forget that Trump lost the popular vote. I think a majority mm-hmm. of people in the country don't like him and don't and wouldn't support that. I think, I think with, with Trump and presidential pardons are very is very sketchy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we just. It seems to be there seems to be a lot of evidence pointing towards Donald Trump was placed into office mm-hmm. um, yeah. with interference from a foreign government. So I think that has a lot of <clears throat> pardon me issues with that would raise a lot of issues with um, people that you know that did not vote for him mm-hmm. that are in the actual majority of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I would suspect since he's been elected, a lot of people that were part of his base have left because they're seeing that he isn't for them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely, again, that oblivious neutral that will look at, it's my favorite vocab word, don't you smirk at me. <laughs> don't you smirk at me, Sam. That's, um, that no, will, I love it. yeah, it's a great word. That will see that Donald Trump is not for the people. Donald Trump is for himself, and they will also take up arms against, not take up arms, but be up in arms against um, a, part, a presidential pardon for one of his crooks. Yeah. Or for what appears to be one of his crooks. Mm-hmm. One can only hope. It's just, my question is, like, how far does our backlash even go at this point? Or, like, and does, does our even backlash mean yeah, even matter at this point, anything. too? Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think it matters if he doesn't care, because mm-hmm. he ultimately has authority. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of protests for various issues throughout uh, Donald Trump's um, presidential mm-hmm. tenure, if you will. Um, but, uh, it doesn't seem like he's listened to many of them. There were massive protests, uh, you know, in D.C., all over the country for mm-hmm. trans and LGBTQ uh, plus rights. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump still went forward with a trans military ban. He still went forward with um, a bunch of other legislation that people did not like, yeah. despite the protests. Mm-hmm. I think that he doesn't really care what the people say. Yeah. Another um, thing I'm reminded of is in his the very beginning of his term uh, with the travel ban. Yeah. When people were oh, like flocking yeah. into airports mm-hmm. to uh, protest against that. And the travel ban still a thing. It doesn't seem that, that he cares very much for the American public's opinions. Yeah. Which is so ironic given his background in business and how you have to pay attention to public opinion and business and everything like that. The fact that he would step into office and just completely begin to ignore it now that he's been given like this ultimate source of power. Yeah. I think it also says something that we now when you look at the when you look at the travel ban, it's from specific countries that yes are predominantly Muslim. It's not all Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just trying to point that out there. And I think that it shows a lot for us as a population who say to be upset about it, who say to be outraged about it. We went to the airports to protest for a few weeks. Nothing really happened. So we moved on. Yeah. So we're like, oh, okay. I think if that were an issue that, if that were like a a, a large issue for the people of the country and that it was like the be all end all. That was the big point that they wanted to 
rally around that people would still be flocking to the airports. So I think a lot of it has to do with the consistency of the protests and the consistency of letting our public opinion be heard. Because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that I see outrage on social media, outrage on Twitter or Instagram about certain issues for Donald Trump or about Donald Trump that nothing gets fixed. Kids are still in cages at the border. But mm -hmm. the Twitter activism, if you will, which is how, as a college student, I kind of uh, gauge what people are, what are hot topics. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen, I, I remember seeing every day people tweeting about the situation at the border with the kids in cages. I don't see it so much anymore. They're still there. People still know they're there, but we we still aren't doing anything. Yeah, we've definitely shifted towards a culture of just like fleeting empathy. Twitter almost. outrage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we'll we'll pick a hot a hot topic button or a hot button topic and then tweet about it for a couple of weeks and then just move on to the next because it's so easy like there's a new scandal every week. It's like and how it's like can we're we keep so up? like conditioned to being desensitized at this point mm -hmm. to the media headlines because of how many things we've been through in the past like since the beginning of the Trump administration like how many rapid policy changes going back and forth it's like whiplash it is like yeah. whiplash and I think that it's uh it's just as much the American people's responsibility to continue to to protest and to, to, to continue to um have their voices heard and and let the public know call your congressman mm -hmm. email your mm -hmm. congressman and let them know why you oppose this and also let you know how many people oppose this because yeah. if one constituent opposes it odds are another one does and that's just a snowball effect you see how many people are out for the women's marches yeah. and are out for various other protests if those people all email their congressmen maybe we'd see some change mm -hmm. at least one can hope yeah. i definitely hope that the American public's opinion will finally count during election season like i'm really hoping that all of trump's just lack of the care mm -hmm. will come and bite him. Uh, I think that <laughs> I think in the 2020 election, it's just as important. We we got to vote Democrat in your like for Congress for and oh, Senate yeah. Yeah. As, as, as it's not vote people down the line. Yeah, mm -hmm. but people go to elections that people go to the polls every four years for the presidential mm -hmm. election. They don't go every two years or every so often. Like my mother, every time I'm home asks me about something or especially when it's an election season like when are you going to vote where are you voting you got to come back and vote here because your vote means more here yeah. than it does in philadelphia blah 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 and i think um that attitude would it'd be healthy for that attitude to spread mm -hmm, definitely yeah. and i think we are making a more active push towards trying to get young people to vote and like trying to get people in general to go out and vote mm -hmm. and vote in midterms there was like a pretty decent uh, younger population turnout in the midterms this yeah. year, which was yeah. really really nice to see. And and like if oh, that top ahead, tier, I'm sorry, sorry um, if that top tier government power is going to tell us that public opinion doesn't matter, then it needs to be a bottom up process. So yeah. we need to start at the grassroots and w let it work its way up and like make the wave essentially, mm -hmm. because like it's it's just too important to continue having it be ignored. And when it comes to young people voting and having their voices heard, there is nothing that the uh, politicians would rather hear uh, than a young person's voice. I remember when we had a house party for our, uh, we we personally didn't, we went to a house party in my neighborhood for one of our congressional uh, candidates, and myself and my cousin Ben got some of the most attention from him because we're the future, we're, vote, yeah. we're his future constituents, we're going to be voting mm -hmm. for him the longest, and they want to know what we think, and they want to know how we see, uh, we can see change. 
Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, guys, we're going to head to our first commercial break, but make sure you stick around because we're going to be talking about some of the college scandals that have been going on in the news. Everyone's seen it at this point. So yeah, keep it locked. Hello, and welcome back to Rational Radio. Uh, so right before the break, we were talking about Manafort and his uh, sentencing. But right now we're going to talk, we're going to shift and talk about uh, the largest college emissions fraud ever. Um, so according to the LA Times, uh, there was a sweeping criminal investigation into fraudulent college emissions unveiled on Tuesday. Dozens of families who paid huge sums to take advantage of Singer or to take advantage of the system, basically. There was this man named William Singer who basically had um, a false company that would scheme to gain access to exclusive schools through bribes and lies. So federal investigators said they have charged upwards of 50 people in the case, accomplices who, as well as accomplices whom Singer allegedly played to, uh, paid to rig the college admissions test score, um, including coaches at USC, U- UCLA, Stanford, and Yale. Um, the case names celebrities, corporate executives, investment bankers, business owners, top-tier lawyers, and even a best-selling author of parenting books. Uh, they all sought Singer out for different parts of the country, from different parts of the country, but with one overriding goal to get their children into the best colleges. So William Singer, 58, pled guilty Tuesday in a Boston courtroom to racketeering and other charges as part of a plea agreement with prosecutors. He admitted to collecting more than $25 million between 2011 and February this year in a two-pronged scheme in which parents could pay tens of thousands of dollars to have expert test takers on Singer's payroll, take their children's college admissions tests, or write larger checks to buy, sports, uh, to buy spots that college is reserved for athletes. So, in phone conversations with parents, secretly recorded by agents, Singer boasted he had helped more than 850 students of the wealthy and powerful to lie their way into college in just two years. One of these um, parents, and the most heartbreaking for me, was <laughs> Lori Loughlin, from, who's Aunt, uh, Aunt Becky in Full House. Uh, her and her husband allegedly bribed important board members of the University of Southern California to get their daughters both admitted to the school. Um, half a million dollars later, which is an incredible amount of money, um, 400000 of it was sent to William Singer himself and about 100000 of it to the administrator in U- UCA, uh, USC's uh, vaunted athlete, athletic program. The, both girls were enrolled in school. Um, so the funniest part out of all of this to me was neither one of the girls had ever competed in crew, but they were both given coveted slots reserved for rowers who were expected to join the school's team because they paid money to Photoshop their heads oh, onto yeah. athletes' oh bodies, <laughs> which is just incredible. Like, how did that even work? But so th- there's upwards of... 50 people in this case and it just again proves that the wealthy and privileged have better access to higher education and that we place mm-hmm. value on this so I have a, I have a couple of questions here um, anyway I think this story is wild and shows how ridiculous both the education system in and of itself is and how the class system definitely plays into that so I was just wondering about your guys' thoughts Okay. Well, <laughs> so uh, I think that we we have we don't have a class system like they do in India or, or mm-hmm. whatnot, but we have a a system of you know the wealthy middle class 
poor. And I think that um, especially that's been a hot button issue for a while has been income inequality. And we've really kind of branded education as the way to fight that. Um, get, get your kids a good education. Doesn't matter where they're from, what race they are, what background they're from. They can be wealthy. They can live a good life because they got that college degree. But when you just let people that already have the money knock those people to the side and then put their kids in there just because they have the money already, that that's kind of goes against what the the whole system is supposed to do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem if you're donating. Maybe you donate a building or whatever. That's a lot of money. And, and, and because of that, your kid gets in the school. Yeah, just do that all above the book. You're paying people to... Uh, take tests for your kids, photoshopping faces or heads onto athletes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's a uh, it's backwards. It's broken, and that is uh, that's sad news to hear, especially for the people that are told if you work hard enough, you can get into any school you want on any scholarship, and you can you can you know buy that car you want. You can mm-hmm. be financially stable. You can support yourself and your family. For people that just don't have anything, that are fighting for that. I mean, you and I, we see that around around our area in in northern Philadelphia. We see people that are not going to be able to, to go to school due to their situation that they were born into. Um, so working hard, getting into school, maybe not so uh, possible if this keeps going, if, yeah. if things like this were to happen. The American dream has always been, like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, and you can do it. So I think inherited wealth is definitely an issue in and of itself but like in using inherited wealth to then play the system that's supposed to be working for everyone on an equal footing like education should just be a right like you should Mm -hmm. be allowed to have access to an education especially a higher education um and we've kind of crafted our society around a higher education especially at this point so i think the fact that you're you're cheating the system that's supposed to work for everyone is so incredibly stupid and like you were saying people we've we've kind of like known that the wealthier were allowed to cheat the system by like having donations that's perfectly illegal donating to a school Mm -hmm. and it's like it's the fine line between cheating or not but the fact that you're just paying some random man to then turn around and bribe schools is Mm -hmm. ridiculous it takes away the value of education as a good itself because if it's not earned through merit if it's just handed to you and like given to you on a silver platter then what's it worth to begin with Mm -hmm. so it's like even if um education is the tool to decrease income inequality and everything like that if it's not going to actually benefit you and if it's not going to give you the higher skills necessary to like decrease unemployment and to make you desirable for employers then it's just gonna there's no point and so it's it's like devaluing education and it's just another like it's an indication of like why we need free education so that way the people who are given this privilege like it balances that way Mm -hmm. it'll balance if we can get the people like if we can just provide access because there's never going to be a way that we can police the education market completely so that this never happens again yeah of course like the corruption is just embedded in the system because of how it's structured Mm -hmm. so we need to find a way to also simultaneously provide free education so that way at least 
like the people who are being cheated by this system are going to have some point of access and it's the privilege and opportunity of ha- like it be it goes from being a privilege to just a right yeah i wholeheartedly agree i think the education system right now is like an inherent way to just gatekeep people mm-hmm. from gaining access to like financial stability and things like that because at this point you really need to go to college first to get a financially stable future um we've catered a lot of our jobs around that so i think that by me that the fact that college isn't free at this point that you have to pay a ridiculous sum of money to even like step foot in a building in a classroom is just a way to gatekeep education and then i think this specific case is just the most extreme example of that of like well we're going to benefit the wealthy no matter what like they can Mm -hmm. even if they can't get in just by their sole wealth we are then going to find a way that they can cheat the system to gain wealth and i think we also have to take in consideration that even if you're not super wealthy you're still privileged within the like gaining access to college system like my family even though we're not super wealthy was able to afford like a tutor like a math sat math tutor um whereas other families can't so it's still the system is so skewed and i really agree that getting like having free uh university would be beneficial i think that I agree that it should be more affordable. I don't. I, I don't think free would would. I think there should be some maybe some some free universities. I don't think they all should be free. I think the quickest way mm-hmm. you can devalue something is making it free. Mm-hmm. And I think that allowing like I know some kids that I went to high school with that should not be in college. <laughs> they are. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but they they should be able to go. They mm-hmm. should be able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it shouldn't cost over $50,000, over $40,000, even 30 is pretty expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, you you got to be able to get to get loans that you can get approved for and that you can pay back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I do happen to disagree. One of the first times I think we've ever disagreed yes. on this yeah. show. Um, that, uh, yeah, college I don't think should be free. I think you need to have some skin in the game in order to really motivate yourself to do well because if I wasn't paying for these classes that mm-hmm. didn't take attendance, I wouldn't go. <laughs> I wouldn't go. <laughs> but I am, and I got to go. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. It's like mm-hmm. external um, motivation versus, like, intrinsic motivation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, high school, high school's free. Yeah. High school sucks. <laughs> Everyone shrugs. High yeah, like, exactly. Everyone. High school. Yeah. I think, like, one of the leading solutions right now with this issue, too, though, is to make community college free. Yeah, I And agree. those programs have been, like, proven to be successful. Like, I know the Tennessee Promise program has raised graduation rates by, like, 82% or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, something ridiculous. So, it's like, I think that at least education there should be some sort of free option and i agree with you that like private schools should be like you should still have to pay for them and they should still be allowed to exist we shouldn't yeah. like convert public, to fin- I'd say. oh yeah, yeah, no. yeah but like we shouldn't like con- like convert to finland's program where they only have public universities and they're all the same price and everything like that like mm-hmm. i think that we should definitely keep that competition but i think a free option should exist so that way like at least there's a starting point yeah. at least we raise that base level yeah because then you have the people that are go-getters that did come from a place that they really can't gain access to education mm-hmm. and then they will go to this university and they will do well and they will get good grades i think if you can just like in high school you can coast yeah. you can you can not do well in in classes you can fail classes and there's just so many safety nets for you to like no no don't fail here mm-hmm. try it again with college, I think that's like I'm definitely learning 
as being a college student more how to be an adult and that's how I think that's also what college is for isn't just like getting your education in that respect but learning to be like your own person yeah I agree I definitely agree and yeah but I, I'm also curious to see how this plays into the issue everyone's issue with affirmative action specifically this case because it feels like the exact like extreme opposite <laughs> yeah like we were talking about this um before the show started today that it's just like it's the very people who are complaining that like minority students are taking their spots who are also buying their way into the system at this point yeah. and taking away their spots and so it's so corrupt i think you can get an uh, an, uh, an argument from the uh conservative right that would say that that's the only way to get those spots back is to Ugh. pay for them <laughs> Uh, don't know how I'd feel about that one, <laughs> but I, I'm raised the point. I think that it could. Uh, that's definitely something that could be argued. Yeah, it's just it's such an interesting way that people look at affirmative action. I'm not exactly sure if they they like affirmative action is such a, a hot topic, but I'm not sure mm -hmm. that everyone understands what it is exactly. Like the the largest population that affirmative action benefits is actually white women who is also like we are i think the i'm pretty sure the majority of college students in general at this point um so i think that when people automatically accuse minorities of taking away their spots for incredible uh, by affirmative action that they're not understanding what it really means or what it was for mm -hmm. and also for so long we just didn't allow access in general to college for for minority groups like i know one of my best friends from home goes to university of richmond and they didn't allow black students on campus until the late 80s which is like we're allowing these these kids to catch up to where we've always been because we've been limiting them forever mm -hmm. So I, th I personally think affirmative action is important, and I think this undermines what everyone says about it, and I want everyone to know. Well, yeah, if you, if you have people that go into universities that look just like, just like yourself, you're only going to think that those are the people that are going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. it's, it's important to have your, your minority and cultural representation in universities because then the people, the people and generations behind them will see, you know, great great black um, academics, great um, Hispanic academics, you know, and and realize that that's a possibility for them and that's a real option. Mm -hmm. Not like even two generations ago, maybe even this current generation. Yeah. They just don't say, there, there's definitely a big um, imbalance still today, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. We're, and we're, we're very lucky to be at Temple, which has a pretty diverse population yeah and mm -hmm. i think it's really really heartening to see like it's very nice yeah diversity <laughs> is such a big aspect of education you learn so much from being in a in a diverse environment mm -hmm. but on that note we do have to head to our second commercial break so make sure that you stick around we're gonna be heading over to some news from australia and you're not gonna want to miss it so stay tuned guys all righty, everybody. Welcome back to Rational Radio on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. <laughs> Make them wait for it. Yeah, number one. <laughs> All righty. So our third story today is, yes, as Amelia said, coming from Australia. And a prominent Catholic archbishop, George Pell, was convicted for the sexual abuse of two choir boys in 1996. 
So, Victoria State County Court Chief Judge Peter Kidd, how ironic, ordered Pell, 77, who is 77, pardon me, um, to serve a minimum of three years and eight months before he is available for, eligible for parole. The five convictions against Pell carried a maximum possible sentence of 10 years each, so he could have been in there for quite a while, and at 77, probably not going to be surviving for too young. Pell was the most senior Catholic to be convicted of child sex charges in Australia, uh, and the molestation of the choir boys happened more than 20 years ago. Upon becoming archbishop in the late 1990s, and this is personally the worst part, Pell set up the Melbourne Response Diocesan Protocol to investigate and deal with complaints of child sexual abuse. The protocol was first, uh, was, pardon me, oh, I'm stumbling over all of my words today. The protocol <laughs> was the first of its kind in the world. So that's kind of, it's kind of a dark, yeah. a dark twist there. He's the, the guy to kind of pioneer it. Yeah. And it turns out mm-hmm. that he was doing it all along. Um, so he used, the, he used that to uh, condemn the failings of his church. So he'd criticize this church for sexual assault. And he used it to defend uh, his own efforts to combat child sexual abuse in the church and care for victims. What a good way to hide in plain sight. Really yeah. just be like, hey, guys, that's like when you commit the murder and you call the police. Yeah. So they don't mm-hmm. think it's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is yet another case of sexual abuse, which makes you want to bring it up again. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, but I think I, the Catholic Church cannot just stay out of the news when it comes to child sexual abuse, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to bring this up again. Why is this establishment a haven for predators, it seems? Or, or at least why are there so many predators within this establishment. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in the past, and personally I'm of the belief that this is, the Catholic Church sets itself up as a community haven. Like mm-hmm. it's the place you go to share your grief. It's the place you go to share your hopes and wishes. It's the place you go to worship something it's, that you and, so deeply believe in. And ironically, the, the place you go to share your sins, you, you, you do confession with the priest as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So like this is such an important part of like religious people's lives and it's kind of like home base it's just you're automatically like drawn to this place and you trust it wholeheartedly because how Mm -hmm. could you not you're already giving so much of yourself within faith so I think it's so easy for people to then take advantage of that and I think it's a part of it's an awful part of the human condition that once that bad people are drawn to those types of positions where they can access the things they want. It's just, it's easy for them. And I think too, like it's so ingrained in people from such a young age that you need to trust the church and it becomes this, like it becomes more than a figure of authority. It transcends that. It's just Mm -hmm. like a figure of truth. So when something like when something happens to a child in that situation when everyone around them is telling them like that this is the institution that you must respect and then that institution violates them it's it's hard to believe that and you begin to question yourself rather than the people around you because of what's being impressed upon you Mm -hmm. and that's another aspect of sexual assault in general like it's it's how people react to it for the majority of the time is like to blame themselves or feel Mm -hmm. intrinsic guilt so so many of these cases we now like this one specifically is 20 years after it happened it's the fact that these people have to come to terms with not only were they assaulted but they were assaulted by something that they had so dearly loved and was like so integral to their lives Mm -hmm. that it's incredibly hard and incredibly tragic not only someone they trusted but someone their parents trusted as well yeah and i think that's the um 
that's probably the worst in the in the eyes of a child because you look at your parents as as people that know exactly what you need to do exactly when you need to do it yeah they always are looking out for you and they're like yeah be a choir boy and then this happens mm -hmm. it's just it's just got to be so terrible mentally for these these victims yeah um, and yeah parents are supposed to be your protectors and the f it's awful to then realize like that this is going on but not only like your parents allowed this to happen to some extent um but the sexual assault in the catholic church has been going on forever but at least the only good thing i see coming out of this is that like more and more we're seeing stories like this even though it's awful every time we do see another like kind of oh my god like there's another but yeah at least it's being at least we're talking about it now yeah. at least these people mm -hmm. are being able to deal with this and come to terms and then speak out against it because it's kind of a two-sided coin with everything in the sense that like one by talking about it more hopefully it's going to encourage more people to trust themselves and like trust the like their community and environment enough to speak out about it and to speak out about their own personal experiences but i can't help but worry that it's going to turn into what we were talking about before where we become desensitized to it yeah because it's happening so much and not enough action is being like being taken against it to prevent it yes exactly and that leads perfectly into my next question <laughs> which was what is the church doing to prevent this or and what should they be doing and i think the first part of that question is kind of kind of like a uh we just answered they're yeah. they're not doing enough they're not doing mm -hmm. really anything i think the the big things i've learned I, i've heard is those church those um priests or archbishops or, or whomever is that's dealt with internally mm -hmm. which means from what i've seen is they move them around they just move them to a different parish uh, where the people don't know anything about uh, about them. Mm -hmm. So that's not effective because then they're just going to you know com commit these crimes again. But what what do we think they they should be doing? Say you're the pope, what is it Francis now? Is it still Francis? Yeah. Have we moved on? Yeah, I All think right. so. Still Francis. All right. Imagine you're him. What what do you think and you know you're you're motivated by the good of the for everybody not what's best for the church. What do you think you would do? The church has always been so secretive. Like that's part of their their thing. They have their own government within uh, Rome, so it's incredibly hard to open up access to the church. But I think at this point, we've seen that this is a reoccurring problem, and this has been a reoccurring problem for basically millennia, like as long as the church has been around. So I think at this point, the church needs to somehow bring an outside source in like yeah. to to mm -hmm. really take a look at this well, what other churches have their or religions have their own sort of government like that you've got israel which is yeah. a, a mm -hmm. jewish state but i wouldn't say that's like the center for all yeah I don't jewish think operations I don't think, yeah, yeah but then you look at the the vatican and that's that's the the voice of the catholic people mm -hmm. and what the what the church says is a big phrase i don't really hear that with um like what the synagogue says or yeah. what the, yeah. uh, I don't know, I don't know another term. I don't know synagogue and church. What the mosque says, yeah. if you will. Mm -hmm. So um, that's weird to me. That's very mm -hmm. weird to me because we don't have a Presbyterian head state headquarters. We don't have a uh, Mormon state headquarters. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes back to like when the Vatican was an actual like country in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, but it still yeah. exists now. Yeah. Oh, of course. But I'm just saying that that's like a lasting effect. you can't just take sovereignty effect. away from them, but... 
Yeah, but it seems at this like point, a good idea. At this point, they don't have their own country, so like we can take sovereignty away from them. And I, they're an institutional, pro, like an institution. We can now declare laws on them. And it's like every time that a new allegation comes out, it like chips away at their authority and their jurisdiction mm-hmm. to continue to act in a sovereign way. So it's like, hopefully. Like it's not going to implode on itself. It's too big of a problem to for us to just let it implode and not step in. So we need to figure out some form of intervention to help and make mm-hmm. this stop. But I think that, and like that implosion aspect is going to help it, and like it's going to help it move along faster. An issue with that though is like then who gets jurisdiction jurisdiction over this? Because we're like Catholicism isn't a one country thing. It mm. is global so like Mm -hmm. how are we going to set up a program it's almost like we have to make another un but solely for the catholic church (laughs) like everyone send a representative to take down the catholic church please they have that sort of but i believe because the last time we we talked about they had um deacons and priests coming from a bunch of different countries (laughs) um to meet and talk about the um sexual abuse of nuns is what it was yeah yeah so but again, that seems very that that's very internal. Yeah. So, uh, it, it it would be very difficult to impose an external force or government mm-hmm. on such a sacred institution. Yeah. I feel there would definitely be a backlash. Yeah, against and it. well, you, we I don't think we'd be able to because uh, a lot of people on one side would say, hey, like you're, like the Vatican is technically its own country, mm-hmm. so, like you you can't do that U.S. or you can't do that England or whoever yeah. decides to try and step in and end that for sure. I think there's always going to be stuff like this um, throughout the world, like throughout mm-hmm. time. Like it, like people are going to get wronged every day and it just happens to be that this is an institution that seems to support it. Mm-hmm. I don't, support I'd say is not a fair word. I'd say this is a, an institution that seems to cultivate that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Allows it to like fester almost. Yeah. Yes. Um. But so it's incredibly hard to dismantle it. It really is. And it's just to watch that implode there and then to know also in Europe right next door, we see something else imploding with Europe right now and um, with the UK, with lawmakers trying to stop Brexit right now going on, Mm -hmm. which is like a very different form of implosion. But to watch these things kind of happen side by side has been very interesting. So for anyone who didn't know, on Tuesday afternoon, there was a second vote in Parliament to... um, for to see for British uh, Great Britain's plan to exit the Union and t- Prime Minister Theresa May's plan, uh, her plan was defeated in a 391 to 242 vote. Um, so they began voting again today at three on whether to reject a potential no deal Brexit. Um, this will eliminate the risk of them leaving the bloc anyways. However. Um, May said her conservative lawmakers could vote on Wednesday night according to their conscience rather than having to follow a party line. Um, A no-deal Brexit would rip up decades of rules for travel and trade between Britain and the bloc. Economists say it could cause huge upheaval with customs checks causing gridlock at at UK ports, new tariffs triggering sudden price increases, and red tape for everyone from truckers to tourists. They were talking about this um, on AP News and they said it could literally cause like 50-mile backup jams because of this, which is ridiculous to think of. Especially in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And so um, as of right now, Britain will move forward with exiting the U- uh, the EU if Parliament is unable to agree on a way to move forward by March 29th, which is the scheduled exit deadline. And they will be scheduled to vote again tomorrow if a no-deal Brexit is ruled out today on whether or not they should seek postponement. Well, it seems that they, the English people, British people, spoke and said 
with, with the referendum that they want to leave. But now it seems like they're speaking again mm-hmm. and saying like, whoa, 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 this is not what we actually signed up for. We kind of didn't know what was going on. So I, I think that I think there has to be a lot uh, that happens. They have to definitely re-examine their, their demands. From what I've seen, um, there's a lot of things that they want to keep that are just benefits of the European Union, but still not be a part of the European Union. I mean, England mm-hmm. already still uses the pound. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're not too. They're kind of like a separate entity from the European Union. But I don't know. It, it would definitely be interesting to see how that affects their their trading and especially travel, because mm-hmm. Europe's so close together. People travel all the time. I don't know mm-hmm. if it would necessarily affect England the hardest, but it, I we have talked about this on the show before. It would definitely at least the travel aspect would definitely affect Ireland the hardest. Yeah. Um, because I believe it's Northern Ireland is still technically part of England. Mm-hmm. And just the tariffs being imposed on them. Yeah. Incredible hardship. But it was also the they're going to set up roadblocks again, basically, yeah. with separating the country in two, um, which would be incredibly hard for the people and incredibly problematic because just in the 90s, there was like bombings at roadblocks and stuff like that from the IRA. So I don't want to see anything like that shift back into happening. Yeah, the uh and and what do you do with the the Catholics and the Protestants on opposing sides on opposing sides of the border? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that was a big reason the troubles were were a big deal and now it's looking like it could happen again. Yeah. Okay. So we have to wrap up our show for today but i just want to fill you guys in so you've been listening to whip radio philly's number one college station thanks for listening to us but you can also listen to all of our podcasts at t uh, whipradiotu.com or on spotify under rational radio or even our sister podcast the district for a closer closer local look thanks for joining us guys yeah (laughs) and also make sure that um this is philly's number one college radio station home of temple university's radio networking summit on march 29th from 10 a.m to 3 p.m located at 1755 north 13th street formerly known as the howard get student center uh kirby confer of forever media is our keynote speaker and he's going to be accompanied by other radio industry professionals this event is catered by wawa and for more information be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at whip radio so yeah that's all the time that we have for for today uh for today guys so have a great week Woo.